0: Welcome to Speak Sex. I am your host, Eve Eurydice. Uh, Speak Sex is a liberation conversation about gender and patriarchy, um, intersectional, practical, socio sexual justice, and uh, we believe that the choice is always between love and fear. So with that in mind, uh, we have uh, our guest, Michelle, today. She's an undergraduate in a Southern University that shall remain unnamed. (laughs) Um, And we're gonna talk about uh, fraternity culture uh, in this moment, in 2021. Fraternities and sororities have kind of, I feel, been ignored in the overall mainstream conversation about academia as uh, a source of liberalism and woke culture, which when you look at the socialization of the students in many of these schools, uh, it's not. So, um, that's one of the reasons that I want to Bring this up because I think it's a huge issue. So, welcome to the show, Michelle.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, This is just such a fascinating, you know, cultural phenomenon that survives. Um, So, yeah, tell me a little bit about your exposure or how you got to think about fraternities and investigate them.
1: Yes. So, on my campus, uh, I work as a writer. Uh, at our on-campus newspaper staff and I was focused on writing a column that was more uh, gossip based and more just kind of student chatter rather than uh, a lot of hardcore reporting. Mm -hmm. But the thing is a lot of the chatter around the school has led me to do some hardcore reporting as a result of that and one of the chatters around the school was during our COVID nineteen pandemic, the school is extremely strict about wearing your mask, about social distancing, and it would be so severe as to if there was a photo of you out with friends and it was reported to the school. If you were just out to dinner, uh, you would have to go on trial, and you were up for suspension or for some kind of disciplinary action, depending on how uh, how severe the COVID gu- guidelines. Were and how you broke them. Mm-hmm. So there was chatter around the school that the fraternities, which have houses on campus, were throwing all these parties. And it wasn't a very secretive conversation. I mean, people were talking about it and passing at the library, in class. And I actually reached out to a few of the girls who I knew because I saw them posting these parties on their Snapchat or on their Instagram. And uh, I asked them if they would feel comfortable if I interviewed them anonymously uh, about their experiences at these parties. So there was kind of like, not only
0: double standard, but a, an unspoken, tacit understanding that this is a, a subculture that thrives outside mainstream culture, that no one is uh, supervising, right? No.
1: Mm-hmm. And so I, along with some other reporters, Uh, reported on this. And we reported on the dates. We had all the information about these parties going on. We had dates. We had location. We had details about what was going on inside of the parties, that there were tarps on the windows. We had detailed reports of police being called to these parties to report Mm -hmm. them and Mm -hmm. that uh, there were witnesses saying that police would go to the door. They would have a conversation. Police would leave. There would be no shutdown of the parties. So we wrote an article about it. Mm-hmm. The article came out, it was very popular, got a lot of attention, and when administration was reached out to about what was go- happening, they refused to comment, they refused to interview, they would just put out a statement saying, if you see anyone engaging in uh, behaviors that violate our COVID-19 guidelines, please direct them to uh, this report link. <laughs> and people were reporting, but nothing was happening Mm -hmm. and it just was extremely disheartening it was the first time I saw these groups just be blatantly ignored and you would see a vast difference between the fraternities who had a lot of money who had a lot of very wealthy alumni they had the biggest houses on campus versus you know you have these Little, you know, the smaller fraternities or the mid-tier fraternities who don't have these big, nice houses. They don't have a lot of alumni because eventually people were pushing and pushing and pushing, saying, hey, you have to do something about the fraternities. We have so many kids on campus who are infected with COVID-19. We're scared that the school is going to be shut down. And eventually they said, "Okay, we're going to they had enough information because there was video evidence. There was photo evidence. There was just so much chatter on school, especially after these articles came out. And nothing was happening. Uh, eventually the school said, okay, we're going to suspend these three, three or four top tier fraternities. But this mid-tier fraternity is going to be kicked off campus. And what was crazy is that they did the same things. And you have mm-hmm. to wonder mm-hmm. why does this mid-tier fraternity who does not have a lot of alumni, why do they get kicked off? versus these top tier fraternities with all these big wealthy alumni, uh, why do they just get a slap on the wrist and a a week-long suspension or whatever it was? And it comes down to money. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's different between, you know, private and public universities. There, you know, there could be a difference, but I know for sure that in private universities, they value alumni very much. And I personally believe through my own research that the more money you bring in, and the more alumni you have, uh, the more untouchable you are.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, it's like hereditary. So we know that, you know, this, the sons or daughters of of uh, sisters or brothers, fraternity brothers or sorority sisters, right, come to join you know they are legacies, and they join the same. They r- rush for the same fraternity or sorority. So it's something that's going on through. It's a generational kind of like pyramid of of, of obedience, right? And mm-hmm. and a you know there is kind of like a, a grooming that I think goes on, which is uh, like a socialization. You know, it's it's a it's a rite of of passage. So it's mm-hmm. really. Deeply, you know, it's ingrained and it's hard to, um, you know, even define and much harder to stop because, mm-hmm. like, parents send their kids to a school uh, where they pay a lot of money and then donate even more money for this to be part of their experience, you know. And it's interesting how, like, with the passage of time. I guess, you know, parents put a spin, like a, a positive or, or, or you know, heroic spin on these like rituals, you know, that to us mm-hmm. from the outside, from what I hear about them, uh, sound completely like dehumanizing and, you know, debasing. Um, so, like, uh, if this had happened to me, I would definitely not wish it on, on my kid, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. Like, you know, frat houses are like mansions on campus or around, even if they're not on campus, they're right next to it, you know, and they, uh, they're, they have like a mythology to them. You know, they have like mm-hmm. the Persian rugs and the hunting trophies and the old, like, state libraries and like all the tropes of like, um, you know, club masculinity, right? Uh, like private club, right? And like guests are announced. You know, at the front door, and, you know, members come to dinners in tuxedos. And so, like, there is that whole, um, you know, mythology. Like, it's staged, it's very much staged to impress. Um, And yes, money is behind it. All of that couldn't happen if it weren't funded, uh, you know, like generously. So that's that's where you know one has to eventually go, like you know, find and, the mining source.
1: And one way how I know that you know how protected these groups are was actually just witnessing how these groups reacted to the backlash and reacted to the chap uh, the chatter around school and articles coming out. The first, you know, it's it's funny to me because I think women get. Uh, a lot of heat about, you know, women being bitchy and mean girls and they gossip and they get together and they're and they plan out these things. And I and I hate that women get that because I think men can be just as bitchy and just as gossipy and just as ruthless. And I really witnessed it firsthand after these articles came out, because mm. I remember the first thing that these these boys did was they looked at the entire newspaper staff and they just hunted down, researched anything that they could find. And I remember our editor-in-chief, who was a really uh, good, you know, goody-two-shoes kind of girl. Uh, she went on a boat with, I believe, just a few of her roommates and friends. It was small, small group of people, people she lived with. And somehow these boys got a hold of a photo of her on this boat. And they reported her. And she had to go through all of these unnecessary trials. You know, this is a girl who never had anything on her record at all. And all of a sudden, she's up for suspension because she violated the COVID guideline of being in a group of five or more without a mask. Let alone, you know, these are her roommates and people she lives with. And then another thing I saw was, uh, which was quite shocking for me is, I would receive calls from our school's suicide hotline wow. saying that uh, someone reported that I was trying to kill myself. And just these these little things, you know, it, it, they weren't, it wasn't aggressive in your face. It was more just this taunting, you know. Yeah, it's mind games. Me- it's like yeah, it messes
0: with your mental health is what it is. N-
1: messages on social media, wow. creating fake accounts, uh it it was it was it was scary like I'm not gonna lie I mean I'm a human being it 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 made me worried and uh I think the they thought that I would you know shut up or that I'd stop writing or people would stop talking about it, but it did the exact opposite for me because uh you know I try to live by what I stand for and I try not to back down to anyone but it what it really just showed me was that nobody has Ever tried to shut this down before? You know, mm-hmm. because it, it's just that kind of reaction that 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 very like little boy, middle school, high school, meanness that that just the intimidation, mm-hmm. uh, cruel cool little pranks or whatever they were pulling. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's what little boys do. You know, it's what little kids do. You know, that's that's not how uh you know a real adult would react to backlash
0: mm mm-hmm. mhm yeah yeah well i mean again i think that what they function um you know with like a lot of this type of head games you know so like they say you can walk out anytime you want right but mm-hmm. but it it's it's a m- m- hostage situation you know where you in a in a cult you know it's like a misogynist mm-hmm. cult and you know lo- they value loyalty above anything. So when you, you when you've gone through like the difficulty of hazing and the you know debasement right of mm-hmm. of of your of your self respect for the for the acceptance by the group, um, you know then you're already f- controlled and brainwashed. You know you're constantly gaslighted. You know alienated because you're kept within the fraternity only. You know you're brickwalled. So. Yeah. What happens is that, you know, wh- wh- the members who join, they kind of, I think, never get out of that, as you say, like, uh, you know, schoolyard bully mentality, right? Or or like tiny mafia mentality or whatever it is, you know, they, yeah. they just, um, their entire social life is Greek life, you know, that's how they meet people, that's how they rotate like social group loops you know that's how they understand themselves in the world that's how they identify um and and i think that they stay that way often you know even after they graduate right so it, it it's like a way where um sweet boys are being turned into like toxic boys you know they Absolutely. they go into school as freshmen and then they are forced to become abusive mm-hmm. um you know, in, in, order to like be accepted, socially accepted. I mean, you know, and they, and they sell that, you know, they're told this is like brotherhood. Um, you know, but to me, you know, it's very ironic because it's like, uh, they're, they're, they're robbing their fellow, like male friends, you know, from their own basic human rights, right? From their dignity. Um, and they, and you know, they force each other to like be followers, you know, to, to kind of like see adulthood as like a brutal competition or something. But then they, they tell each other, be a man, like be a man, like they, they compare, they call this being your own man or being a free mm-hmm. man, you know, like secrecy is be a man, like don't tell your parents, you know, be a man, grow up. Um, you know, this, it's like a mob mentality, you know, or like, Again like what I said like la familia, you know, the the mm-hmm. tribal group thing. Um think yeah, and I feel that a lot of these a lot of these guys, you know, give up their morals um and then they go to they enter, you know, the the work uh, part of their lives, you know, they go into their careers. They become finance guys, you know, they mm-hmm. enter corporate life and the same kind of like motto persists you know where they must prove their loyalty you know every day by getting debased it's like you know they're groomed to allow like corporate hierarchy to do the same thing to them you know to 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 devalue like to force them to devalue like their love partners you know to to choose money or power inside their power over like you know, whatever it is, you know, women, respect, ethics, like all, all the stuff that we think makes someone like a decent human, you know?
1: Absolutely. And I think you bring up a really good point um, because I think anytime people uh, criticize fraternities, especially if you're a woman criticizing fraternity culture, you're immediately, you know, the angry blue haired feminist who hates men and thinks they should all die. You know, that you can't. I think women, you know, get labeled uh, as these crazy hysterical people whenever they try to criticize these groups. And I actually think that a lot of these boys who join fraternities by themselves alone are vulnerable young men right. and they deserve, they deserve love and they deserve respect and any kind of group they join. And I don't think they want to hurt anyone, mm-hmm. but when it's kind of like Lord of the Flies. Mm-hmm. You know, it becomes dangerous when there's this group think and then there are absolutely no consequences. Mm-hmm. So what is the, like, what I always thought to myself is like, what is the message here that we're giving about fraternities? So it's like, if you are ultra masculine uh, and you're emotionless and you're willing to suffer, you get to be a part of this club. Where you can get away with racism, misogyny, sexism, and pretty much anything. You can get away with anything. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because this whole attitude of like, if you're willing to, you know, put aside all of your morals, you get to be this untouchable, that that's nothing new in our society. You know, like you were saying in like the corporate world and politics, and as we get older you know, men often do this outside of fraternity culture as well. And I think it's just a way to start them young. And it's just a really vicious cycle.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and it is particularly um, vulnerable guys who want to prove that they're strong. You know, it's almost like it's your first time away from home. Um, you know, it's, it's a little like, you know, someone going to prison for the first time, you know, like, um, you have to you feel like kind of nervous and and you don't know much about how to interact, you know, you're surrounded mm-hmm. by strangers, you don't have the security or comfort for home. So you're extremely vulnerable, you know, and that's when they prey on, on you with like, will be the new home, the new family, the new security, you know. Um, it's actually similar to like the army model, you know, where where people also are are going right after home, you know, like from high school, right? They get ret- recruited. So, it and it, you know, the like the army, it, it's like this enforcement of like extreme hierarchy, you know, where you uh, release choice and individuality, you know? Um, it, it's probably like, you know, like the way that all the, You know, like the Freemasons or the KKK or like the Proud Boys now or or all these type of groups, you know, are all um, organized in a similar way where you have to sacrifice or renounce, you know, let's say your yourself, your soul, your individual choice, right, in exchange for belonging. And it's like, you know, a Faustian bargain, but when you're 18... And, you you know, you're just out of home and your friends are like the, your first two friends, you know, or like your roommate, who's your first friend is also doing it and is like kind of like competing with you. And this is your first exposure to like, uh, you know, post high school culture. And you see that like everybody around will respect you if you get accepted. Right. Into, you know into a, f- a fraternity, and then, you know, everybody talks like really highly of of Greek life. Like, you don't have time to think, you know? And then on, uh, you, you want the camaraderie, you know? You want like the, the team fidelity, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the fraternal bonds and, you know? And then there is like the whole like man speak, right? Um, so like, y- y- you know, you wanna learn those terms because you, you wanna have respect and you wanna fit in. Um, so I think, like you know, it's it's behavior modification, in my opinion, at a very very mm-hmm. vulnerable young age. You know, for young people, like, and and for young men in particular, it prepares them to cross over from like being a son, or you know, to being a, a patriarch in in patriarchy. You know, um,
1: absolutely, and and I, and I almost feel uncomfortable referring to uh 18 year olds as young men because although they're legally adults i think being 18 yeah, right. in the 2020s is so different yeah, than being right. 18 in the 1980s or the 1950s or the 1920s you know mm-hmm. the being 18 the role of what is expected of a young man or a young woman at 18 is so different and i truly think that you know, the age from 18 to 22 Mm -hmm. uh, in my generation is you are still a child. Most people who are in that age range are still being either living with their family or they're being supported by their family. Uh, It's it's just not the same.
0: Yeah, you're right. No, you're absolutely right. I I see that, you know, and that's partly because, you know, we have a better standard of living, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So, like you know, a couple of generations ago, like, life was harder and harsher. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, people were exposed to, like, more abuse, more corporeal punishment at home, you know, Mm -hmm. more of a sense of, like, fight or flight in life in general, like, scarcity, you know, you saw your parents, like, suffer, right? All kinds of um, difficulties that, You know your generation has been spared, but yeah. As a result, I agree. You know, at at 18, you know, you're still a child. You're still a teen, Mm. and you're still Mm. a child. And you know, the human brain doesn't get fully formed until like the age of 26. So you know, people are still growing. They're growing physically. You know, they they are they are you know um, underage in that sense. You know, they are still being formed and. And the idea that like parents who otherwise are so, you know, protective and cuddling, like parents in the 21st century, right? Um, Absolutely. Send them, their kids out to these like secretive, um, you know, environments that, that are like gangs that require like initiation rights and, you know, darings and objectification of, of, of themselves and of others, you know loyalty like over morality and obedience like blind obedience like it's just insane that um but I think that 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 you know that's something that is happening individually for a lot of parents but it's not really um a big topic in in the mainstream conversation you know but I do think that parents are worried about it and they find that their kids shut down you know they they go to school and if they decide to rush they just do not talk about it so there is like a wall of silence right and especially i think moms like you know feel like they're losing their their kids you know yeah. um, to this to this kind of like um you know social Behavior, I guess you know. So yeah, I think that I mean. Do you know anything about the the hazing rituals? Because I have heard from um, from a, from a n- number of parents um, examples of what goes on, and it's just beyond beyond shocking. Yeah, well, what did so- you hear?
1: the the first thing that i think is notable is you can log on to any university website across the nation and look at their fraternity policies and they will say in you know big letters we have no hazing policy there will be absolutely no tolerating of any kind of hazing and um i think that is the biggest lie that you know universities tell parents i mean the the students know that that's a lie but you know the parents might read that and, you know they'll, they'll feel a breath of relief you know they'll say oh you know there's no tolerance they're probably on top of it um but the facts are is that hazing happens and it's easy for hazing to happen and you know these very secretive kind of societies where you know they're untouchable because even if it does get out that there's a report of hazing the school's not gonna they're just gonna sweep it under the rug you know they'll do a slap on the wrist because it will look worse for the university than it will for the fraternity. And they don't want to lose any money and they don't want to definitely lose any students from it, you know, with admissions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um, through my own, uh, personal experience, what I've witnessed and heard, uh, my, uh, university had much more tolerable hazing than I've heard from other schools. You know, they'll have them do very stupid things like, you know, running laps, when it's raining out or, you know, more harmless things. However, I think it's important to note that there is very much a distinction when I talk about fraternities between the white fraternities and the black fraternities. Mm -hmm. And I know that they had, they, they report to different organizations as well. I'm not sure what the names of those are, Mm -hmm. but, um, the historically black fraternities, um, they have much more, uh, they're more secretive because when you look at white fraternities, they have, you know, a very large community size, more money, more alumni, big frat houses. They have a higher level of invisibility and unaccountability, but these black fraternities, they have more eyes on them. And in turn, uh, they have to be more secretive. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is when you have to be more secretive, because, you know, when, when you, especially when you're on a predominantly white campus, if, you know, a young white girl sees a group of five or more black men, you know, she's clutching her purse, she's, you know, getting nervous, you know, because these are, there's a lot of racism that still exists on our college campuses, and, you know, it's unavoidable. So these men have to put on more of a front of, you know, this, we're doing the right thing, this is all safe. However, every fraternity has, you know, a darker side. And when these Black fraternities are pushed into more secretive um, rituals, Mm -hmm. I think they become almost worse because Mm -hmm. really nobody knows exactly what's going on. And the only reason I say that is because I remember being on our campus gym and seeing a young black man wearing, you know, a Greek lettering tank top. And he had a Greek symbol branded on his chest. And, you know, that's something well, you yeah. never see, you know, you, you hear no. about it. But I would never expect to see, you know, such a Brandy. young man with like this huge scar. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it, it was all puffy and, you know, it, it looked gnarly. You know, it looked looked horrible you know Um. and we what's funny is that all of you know nobody really talks about the black fraternities on campus and it's because they are so secretive you know they they really fly under the radar and i don't i don't necessarily know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because if there is something that's going on that's wrong you know we're not going to know about it and there's Mm -hmm. also way less likely that one of those young men are going to say hey i need some help you know Mm -hmm.
0: yeah 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 well i mean you know fraternities to me are like rich people gangs you know it's the same it's the same functionality but society demonizes one and allows the other you know but there is no significant difference between fraternities and street gangs you know it's like um they can they can both be categorized as gangs i think under the law except that um you know we're kind of like overlooking that 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 fact basically um and i think you know um that's you know what's your that's kind of like a connection also where um if we could accept or understand that as a matter of fact as a great as the greater society that this is what it is, you know, then I think we could we could begin to kind of uh, have a, you know a more critical take on on that life you know. But um, but yeah, as as we've been saying, like if you know dads give millions to their fraternity, and if the boys believe already, you know, that in order to succeed in life, they have to belong to like a financial elite frat or something, you know, and if like word of mouth is that they help each other get jobs, you know, when they graduate and where they can have like positions of power or they promote their own, you know, um. So, like, that's very typical of of the you know of of the Greek societies, and I think that um, you know, like, guy, guilds, you know, medieval guilds, <laughs> um, which were closed, no one else could could enter, right? So, even you know, we're like, oh, you know, women can do every job, or what? Well, there are a lot of like unseen uh, exceptions to that, where you know, the culture closes ranks, right? Uh, and it starts in college. That's when where like the patriarchy is inculcating, you know, and propagating this this kind of like segregational loyalty, you know, to the male tribe, above let's say, loyalty to girlfriends or or you know families or whatever. Um and you know, you, you boys like become men by by, by being hazed, which is like ancient, you know, like adulthood rituals of like scarification, which you just mentioned, you know, um, so it, it's it's not you know it, it's it's represented as like a, you know southern gentleman life, but and normalized, you know, uh, but in fact. It uh, adheres to, like, really antiquated gender relations, you know, um, and expressions, you know, it has its own language. So it's almost like an alien nation, right? It's an alien, like, subculture that soups in and, like, transforms the boys. And then, you know, when the boys go through it, uh, they will turn and abuse the freshmen, you know, the next year, Uh and, and then when they're finally seniors, like they'll be treated like kings, but they still have to put loyalty before everything, you know? Um, yeah, but this kind of like cult of seniority is also yeah. so creepy, you know, in, in my opinion. But um, I think that, you know, they are, the fraternity culture is like blazing its way through all of our institute, our elite institutions you know, our private, Schools, something like 50% of young men in America are in fraternities. That's the official statistic. So wow. imagine, yeah.
1: And I think it's important to talk about what role these fraternity houses play uh, in relation to the women on campus. Because before you reach the age of 21 and you're living on a college campus and you can't go to the bar because maybe you know, you don't have a fake ID or, you know, you just, you don't have any bars, you know, around your area. Uh, You're going to the frat house, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and especially when you're a freshman, when you're a freshman girl and you're newly 18, the only place that you know I can get a drink at for sure is the frat house, you know, and I find it really interesting how, uh, you know, girls, they go to the frat house every weekend because that's their safe bet on getting drunk and listening to loud music. And then as soon as they turn 21, they don't want to go to the frat house anymore because they look around and they see it's all young 18-year-old girls. And now they can actually go to a bar and get their uh, themselves a drink. Mm-hmm. And I found it, it's kind of like that quote from the movie, dazed and confused where the guy says the reason why I love high school girls is because I keep getting older and they stay the same age oh, yeah. you know that's oh. what frat parties are mm-hmm. you know I-, I thought about how you know these 21 year old girls are so uncomfortable partying around underage girls however most of these boys in the f- fraternity houses who actually hold the power who are you know this the seniors and college who are, you know, the president of the fraternity, they're the ones throwing these parties for these 18 year old girls, you know, and and it doesn't bother them as they get older that, you know, everyone that turns up to the frat party is still at that ripe age of, you know, 18, 19. And, you know, it isn't that big of an age difference. I'll give you that. But I think there is something to be said about how girls age out of going to frat parties, but Mm -hmm. the boys love it.
0: Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, yeah, because it's rape culture. So basically, mm-hmm. the fraternities, like, feed you know that mentality of rape, which is you know the younger girls are the the best choice, right, or mm-hmm. the hottest, or again, which is like the most vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, which brings to mind like uh Brett Kavanaugh, you know, the mm-hmm. that story, because you know, in order to join, like, I think it was. Delta, Kappa, Epsilon at Yale. Um, he, he had to go through like all these ritual humiliations, you know, like hop around campus in a leather football helmet while grabbing his crotch and chanting, I'm a geek, I'm a geek, um, I'm a fool, like stuff like that, you know. And the the Delta, the, I think that they call themselves the Dicks, you know, were very... Like, they had a reputation for like exactly this the debauchery, the young girls, you know, they waved flags made of, made of like the girls' underwear and they read aloud from pen, penthouse, <laughs> you know, in, during meetings in the quad and they threw like, you know, all these alcoholic parties. So what happened to Brett Kavanaugh was like a sexual assault on a dare, you know, um, and look at the price he had to pay. I mean, in In his testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, like he was asked things like, you know, his familiarity with the word boof, which he said was a reference to Faradin, but like they were, you know, everyone apparently knew. I mean, we only read that at the time that it was like a slang for anal sex. And then another term was like devil's triangle that was made famous uh, during those hearings, which refers to like sex between two men and one girl and he said in his testimony, it was like a drinking game, a game mm-hmm. like quarters, whatever that is. But um, the point is that would he have even, you know, raped or que- coerced the girls who blamed him of doing that, you know, uh, with the use of drugs and alcohol to sed- sedate them into you know, sexual submission if he hadn't been in, in a frat and encouraged by the frat and on a, on a dare, you know, that's like, that's a question. And now he's the father, you know, of children. Um, and also this kind of like stain, you know, will stay in his, um, let's say, you know, biography and history forever. So like we can, we can see him as a victim in that sense because he was, Mm -hmm. you know, as young as, you know, all these other boys who who kind of join without understanding, you know, what they're doing. You know, they don't, Mm -hmm. like, they don't know what hazing involved. You're not told what the hazing is going to be in advance. You know, like, I think in the beginning, they tell you it lasts a week and then the deadline gets extended to, like, four weeks or longer or as long as they want until, like, you've proved your loyalty daily, you know? Um, and you know, they audition, they audition their littles and they audition their bigs, you know, and they, it's kind of like, and I mean, this is the stuff I've heard. I've heard that like boys have to put, uh, you know, a bottle of alcohol on their heads and get on a plank position on bottle cups. Uh, so they like bleed on the caps. you know, uh, sometimes blindfolded, um, They have to cover their heads with like used shirts dipped in like vomit, or um, you know, like if they throw up, they have to eat their vomit. I mean, it's it's like you know they do alcohol and coke nonstop, and it's like sleep deprivation, food deprivation, sex deprivation. It's like you know, I mean, they're not they don't get waterboarded, but it's like the torture of enemies. You know, is is a type of. you know rituals that they have to go through you know
1: that's what that's what i've heard the the most of is kind of like these disgusting just dehumanizing acts uh not necessarily the sex aspect although i have i do have something to say on that but before i get there mm-hmm. i have heard uh stories of you know these boys being forced to rip a bong swallow the bong water throw it back up into the bong and then rip the bong again and just it's, you know gross or so this the sleep yeah, deprivation yeah. i've yeah. i've heard eating che- eating soft cheeses out of a toilet bowl oh, yeah, um, yeah 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 just just mm-hmm. you know d- mm-hmm. it's just gross it makes you go ill you know you know it's just it's just gross things like that um mm-hmm. but when we talk about sexual assault i haven't heard much of that in hazing but I do remember when I was doing my writing, and I was asking mm-hmm. these girls about certain houses and their impression of these houses and what their uh, reputation was. And mm-hmm. I remember this one house; people would always go, "Oh, that's the rape house." You know, that's where all girls get—you know—all girls get sexually assaulted at that house, or mm-hmm. oh, they—they—they, they, you know, some girls always getting raped at that house. And it blew me away. I was like, "Wow!" Like it was just so casual in how everyone knew this one house for that. And when I asked if, you know, if these girls have reported anything and they'd say, yeah, but you know, nothing ever happens. Wow. And, uh, it was, it was just really disheartening and it, it was, it was really shocking. And I remember, you know, speaking to this one guy who I know who's part of a fraternity and he's not a part of that house specifically, but I remember talking to him and, he was telling me, yeah, you know, whenever whenever uh, whenever we hear that a guy has assaulted a girl or, you mm-hmm. know, raped a girl, we we immediately kick them out. I was like, oh, that's that's a good thing. And he said, but to be honest with you, uh, we do it just because he's like, we do it mostly because it looks good for the frat. But, you know, the fact that he's getting punished is like, you know, also a good thing. And it was just, it blew my mind that the punishment was an afterthought. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the main goal of kicking that guy out of the frat was, oh, I, I don't want our frat to get suspended or I don't want it to look bad.
0: hmm Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's all, always about, like, what's good for the frat, it's good for me. And that's, mm-hmm. that's it, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories about... Um, you know, we all know that you know through word of mouth, but also maybe the news a little bit. I mean, but specifically through word of mouth, I have heard of uh, fraternities, and again, you know, we don't want to name any, but you know, who, that open their doors only to girls who they think are like sugar babies, you know, or mm-hmm. who they find on through social media and stuff as uh, open to like the sugar baby culture so they can you know pay them or promise to pay them and then they bring them upstairs to their inner sanctums get them drunk you know get them raped and it's always like through the back door you know there is like a special door Uh, some of some you know the ones that, that have this practice have a special door and they have like frat brothers who are bouncers um who will say like you know if if a girl's ugly they'll tell her like sorry there is no party here uh they they have to like rate the girls they they have to take a girl out who is like a 7.5 or above rate like they mm-hmm. are not allowed to um to date girls who are not highly rated you know so like in that environment like how can a girl feel safe you know with her boyfriend like let's say that's your boyfriend. You're constantly competing with his, mm-hmm. you know, loyalty and alliance to the fraternity, you know? Um, like maybe the, maybe he's a sweet boy, but he's going to boss you around in front of his fraternity brothers, you know? Or maybe he, he wants to be with you, but he has to drop you, um, because he has to go do stuff for an in, initiation, you know? And then I think they have like, sister sororities you know and, and so they'll encourage their girlfriends to join like a sister sorority which is also kind of like um, you know like being a sister wife I mean it's just so I don't know um, it, it's so extreme and so backward you know in our opinion I think girls you know have to constantly be aware of like how not to get their drinks spiked you know um, it. it's not it It's a very unsafe world.
1: It's incredibly damaging. To be a
0: girl, yeah.
1: It's it's incredibly damaging, especially to those, uh, you know, young men, you know, expectations about how much sex you're supposed to be having, how you're supposed to be having sex, how intimate you're supposed to be with the partner you're having sex. Um, I think it's incredibly, incredibly damaging to young men who, you know, they're 18 years old. You know they're out of their house. They're not living with mom anymore. They're probably having more sex than they did in high school. You know, if oh yeah,
0: much more. Yeah. So,
1: uh, it's and many more drugs
0: and you know absolutely and
1: and it's it's really horrible when I you know I've heard stories of boys being told that they have to go and find uh and this I know this is very popular amongst you know the deep South universities where the boys are challenged to go find an overweight girl to have sex with. And when they bring her back home and they start having sex with the overweight girl, Mm -hmm. uh, they'll have boys hiding in the room who come out of the the closet or wherever they're hiding and they'll start making pig noises. And it's just, it's not only humiliating for this young girl, but it's supposed to be even you know humiliating for the freshman boy who's a pledge you know like oh mm-hmm. you're disgusting you're disgusting for having um you know sex with a, a woman who is overweight and um it's 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 definitely it's definitely horrible
0: yeah 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 what do you know i mean do you know about girls who pledge
1: do i do and uh I know that the sororities, there was a huge crackdown recently on uh, the campus I attend where there were videos leaked of girls doing a challenge called blow or blow. And what that pretty much is, is you either have to give, you're, ch- you're given an option. You have to give a blow job to the sky in front of all your sisters or you have to do a certain amount of cocaine and you know usually these are these girls are tiny girls you know they're these little skinny girls you know the the, because a lot of these sororities they're you know they care about image a lot and a lot of you know being a petite Mm -hmm. little girl is ideal in a lot of these sororities so you know a lot of those girls when they're they have a lot of alcohol in their system now you're introducing a lot of cocaine it's not really a great mix and uh, there was a video, I think, that leaked, and it got out in the public, and it was being widely reported, uh, and the school was forced to really crack down on sororities. So now uh, I have not heard about any st- stories on my campus about sorority hazing. Um, I think they have maybe s- small things they're supposed to do, but uh, nothing nothing super damaging like I've heard from the boys who uh, you know are still getting away with with a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also I think like part of it, even if the the hazing is not so abusive, um, I think the the prioritization is you know pa- paramount. It's fundamental, um, and I think that's a huge uh, like brain chemistry changer you know, um, I, I mean, again, you have been raised at home, you're trying to like, uh, you know, do what your parents say, or get away with not doing what they say, but not get caught. But in in either either way, you know, it's kind of like very basic, uh, you know, uh, way of, of psychology, you know, it's not healthy, by any means, the nuclear family is not healthy at all. But it, you know, you survive it a little better. But then you enter this world and your time is not your own. And I think you are definitely trained to go into work life where your time is not your own. You can't choose for yourself. You just have to do what money tells you to do or what, you know, status tells you to do, you know. So, like, what what I know about, you know, kids who... uh have pledged but but even you know young like um you know boys who have been accepted it's just like um if they're they are with their girlfriends or with they are with their friends they'll get a text and they'll be like i gotta go you know i gotta go do some lines of coke with the boys or you know i gotta go do a lineup or i gotta go like um rollerblade to every single class for the rest of the semester or mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know, it, it, so those things are not necessarily, um, you know, gross or, or, you know, humiliating. I mean, the, the drugs are, but, um, that's just, um, you know, that's this boy's, I guess, uh, you know, bad choice um mm-hmm. but what you know or i got to go to like a you know a, a dinner party or a frat dinner or so what i'm saying is that the you know this becomes like second nature where you begin to think of yourself as having to put the the interests of whatever you know group think over your own. Like, what do you want? What? Well, I want to be with my girlfriend. I want to cuddle up, you know? Or what do you mm-hmm. want? I want to go for like a walk in the woods and clear my mind, you know? Whatever it is. What do you want? What do you want? I want to go like hear some live music. I want to anything. It, it, you have to put that aside. Like, mm-hmm. to me, that's just so. Um, um, uh, you know, I mean, I think that that's perhaps the most negative effect. That
1: they steal your this youth. This
0: becomes normalized, and you no they longer know what you want for yourself.
1: They they steal your youth and they steal your freedom mm-hmm. of choice. Right. And yeah. um, you know, even you know, I was thinking, even if they have to do you know things that you wouldn't necessarily call abusive and just more embarrassing and. Uh, I think right. about or just the mental, all, but yeah, exactly. The, the mental toll of rushing, mm-hmm. you know, the mental toll of pledging, and you know, you go to all these different houses, whether they're sorority or fraternity, and you say to yourself, "Man, I really like those guys, you know," and they're and they're you know one of the best fraternities on campus, and then they drop you, you know, first round, and then you start to think to yourself, "What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Is it the way I look? Am I weird? Am I awkward?" And, you know, both girls and boys go through that, you know, when they're rushing and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty tough. You know, I remember watching girls uh, who I was close with as as they go through the process of rush Mm -hmm. and, you know, they get to the end of rush and their only bid is from like, you know, the low tier sorority on campus who are, you know, totally fine, nice girls, but they're labeled, you know, the weird girls and you know they just went through this whole process spending thousands of dollars on makeup and sweating in the heat or you know going to, you know putting on heels walking around everywhere every day and then they just think to them- themselves oh I-, I i can never join the sorority i'm just going to drop because i don't want to be the weird girl mm-hmm. and it's the same thing for men it's just expressed differently mm-hmm. and that itself is definitely some sort of, like, mental torture.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's a split. It's like you have to choose between, you know, truth and culture. You know, you have to choose between nature and culture, like between who you are truly, naturally, authentically, and who you're told you're supposed to be, you know. And I, 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 I really, yeah, I think it's the details don't matter but what matters is the the brainwashing that kind of like divides you from you so you objectify yourself like what you're describing with the girls but it's the same for the boys you know it's like they they separate themselves from their bodies and they force them the their minds which is the part of them that's been brainwashed right controlled their minds are treating their bodies, their own bodies, as objects. You know, they're they're willing to pimp out their own bodies as objects. They're they're willing to, uh, you know, force their bodies to go through pain or or you know disgust or uh, all kinds of like other, um, painful experiences, and be okay with it mentally. You know. So it kind of like separates us from our bodies who are really our natural truth. Like you got to be able to get back into your body and check in with your body to know how you really feel about something in life, like for the rest of your life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I mean, I'm sorry. You know, when we live in a society where we don't know what's real, what's not real, right? Truth, you know misinformation illusion social media right so many like veils of and screens how do you know what works for you and what makes you ha- happy and healthy right you check in with yourself as a whole and so they take that ability away from from us they are you know the they I think that's the you know the most hurtful part of all that, you know, they make it normal to kind of not, um, you know, be, be one with your body, like be a whole person, you know?
1: Absolutely. And I think, and I think that really comes down to what, you know, kind of goes back to what we talked about in the first place, because at its heart, I don't think that there's anything wrong with, you know, a social group or any kind of social club, you know, we have to recognize that fraternities do a lot of great work for charities and, you know, they have some kind of academic expectation of certain fraternities where, you know, if you're not of a certain GPA, you can't join. And, you know, some of those things I guess are healthy and positive, you know, promotions where, wow, you know, if I want to be a part of this fraternity, I have to do so many hours of community service a week, or I have to do, you know, I have to maintain a good GPA. And, Those are positive things, you know, that you would definitely want to promote and I think are healthy. Mm -hmm. However, it it all comes down to administration and regulation and just honest conversations. Because these are young boys, they need supervision, and they need guidance. I really don't blame the boys on their own because on their own, you know, they are vulnerable. And it's up to the adults, the true adults who are the administrators and the people funding Mm -hmm. these groups Mm -hmm. to make sure that they are safe and make sure that they are healthy. Mm -hmm. And it just needs to be honest conversations between them. Yeah. And transparency, which the more you sweep it under the rug, Mm -hmm. you know, someone's going to trip and, uh, that that's what needs to be that is really what needs to be fixed because if we don't fix that we're going to be stuck in this vicious vicious cycle
0: yeah i agree you know um you know, like they should the i mean i, I know that uh, it, it's it is said that you know in those back rooms where the girls uh, are you know are invited there are cameras and then that's used as uh, blackmail but what the school should do is actually record everything, you know, record everything that happens in a house that's on campus and not allow any of the fraternities to function as such outside, you know, off campus, you know. Um, I mean, I think, like, during COVID, we learned that. Like, imagine if fraternities, uh, you know, were online only. Like, how different that is. Like, you know, how, how much of this brainwashing can you do uh, when you're both like sitting in a chair in your living room, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but like f- finding a way to enforce continuous accountability, you know, uh, which would be, for example, um, if everything were recorded and the school and only the school had access to these recordings, right? So there, there is a way for them to go back and see what actually happened. Um, and then, you know pass out some sort of discipline you know have written uh, bylaws of of uh, of discipline for infractions you know uh that the school can actually meet out um, i mean yes accountability you know is is important i think i think throughout academia uh for professors or also um Especially tenured professors who've enjoyed um, the, you know, the the freedom of abuse over mm-hmm. their students, you know, for for so long. So and and to me, that's like finding a way to do that um, ethically, you know, and respectfully um, is what matters. Like not building. New fancy buildings, and you know, not whatever you know, spending uh, money uh, to advertise and and um, and whatever else you know, universities are doing. But first and foremost, kind of like creating a, a system, a standard, a standard, you know, a systemic standard of account, account- accountability and repercussions. You know. Um, and then ideally, like, which would be the same in all schools. That would, would make sense to me.
1: It would be beneficial to all, you know, and I, and I really think back to, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic and the way the fraternities were treated on my campus. Now, if administration who had evidence and had photos and had reports and police reports and everything, everyone knew, right? If they had just went to the fraternity, said, hey, you know, you guys can't be doing this. You know, this semester we're trying to be very strict. We're going to suspend fraternities for the semester. Hopefully next semester this will be a different situation and we'll have the pandemic in the rear view. Now, if they had just done that instead of ignored, there wouldn't have been the uprising from the student body. There wouldn't have been articles. There wouldn't have been other media attention And I just think to myself, you know, it all comes back again. The only reason they didn't do that was because they didn't want to stop the money coming into the school. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're all like career administrators. And I mean, it's, you know, like job safety. And again, like a, a very similar hierarchy, like the one we've been criticizing in Greek culture goes on in academic culture you know and the Mm -hmm. board of trustees uh, invisible have like uh, ultimate decision making so yeah um, it's it's kind of like a similar similar bureaucracy where uh, you know reason (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, reason is is really kind of like ignored (laughs)
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's ironic in the academic setting, but it happens there most.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well that's why, you know, I I mean that's why I began discussing like the irony between um you know the the idea we have these days at least, you know, of uh academic culture being like uber liberal and woke, which is totally performative, you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, they, you know, we have like some new words that maybe are off-putting to people who didn't grow up with them, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we have uh, like some modicum of like racialization, uh, which uh, uh, upsets conservatives, I guess, or, or what whatnot. But really, the system is the same, you know, the... Mm-hmm the names can change, the people can change, but unless we change the system, right, there's no real change. It just goes on. Like the stuff that we've been discussing and describing um, comes to us straight from the dark ages.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, we really just touched the surface of so much that goes on in fraternities. I mean, we haven't even gotten into why is there a difference between you know, white and black fraternities, you know, the black fraternities are historically, you know, black, but the white fraternities are supposed to be of all people, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't see a lot of racial mixing in uh, the traditionally, you know, as we have white fraternities, you don't see that. And um, I have seen uh, other races, I've seen white men and latin men join black fraternities it's it's a minority of them but they do but any boy who joins a white fraternity if they are of a different race are called whitewashed you know and uh, a lot of their peers from their race racial group would you know regard them as kind of you know just you know becoming a, just acting like a white boy And I I think that's very interesting. You know, we haven't even talked about the the homophobia that comes out of fraternities Mm -hmm. and how, you know, there's kind of homoerotic tendencies in fraternities themselves, which is ironic. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the rape culture, misogyny, we just touched the the surface on that. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot to be discussed about fraternities. And, you know, it's important to be talked about for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we did what we did, what we could. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can also, you know, do another episode <laughs> if we decide mm-hmm. in the future. So thank you, Michelle. Thank you for joining me. And thank you for, uh, you know, your contribution and your, your honesty and your, your time. And everyone out there, thank you for listening um, and hit subscribe. And uh, until next week, keep speaking sex. could make love incessantly i would be gone